While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. You know how I know that we're internet famous? How do you know that we're internet famous? Welcome to Overdue Podcast, a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. <laughs> My name is Andrew. And it's a internet famous podcast. You know how I know? Because when things happen, people associate them with us and send it to us. What are you referring to anything in particular this week? Gray. Yeah, I mean... I don't want it to have happened. You don't want it to have happened. The listening public doesn't want it to have happened. But uh, yeah, apparently E.L. James, the one and only, is releasing in June a, I don't, I don't know, like an alternate version of Fifty Shades of Grey from Christian's point of view. I don't like companion novels like that anyway, because I feel like... Shadow. Uh, don't even get me started. <laughs> Why did you turn into a dragon? <laughs> Smaug hates the Smaug feels the same way I do. Um I can't handle it. I can't I don't like them. I feel like it always ends up undercutting whatever the original thing. Unless it's like part of the actual book. Unless it's like a back to the future scenario where you're Marty's seeing himself, you know? Yeah, well I mean, okay, there's that, but also like that presupposes that there is something to undercut about the about the about original book, and I don't yeah, think that that's, that's fair. The, my favorite uh, comment that I saw about it from Twitter. This is from my coworker Lee, who said, uh, "But really, does he jam the butt plug in and choke me get any better when it's I jammed the butt plug in and choked her?" <laughs> That's not okay. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, I expect that'll be how it works though, right? It's just like a control F and then replace all the pronouns. Holy crap. I gave her an iPad. Like what is it's not <laughs> good writing? Sorry. We'll read it. Tune in. I guess that's like episode 200. Help us get to episode 200. Because uh, we have to read the third one for 150 because we have to know how the trilogy ends. The original trilogy. The original <laughs> I hope there are Ewoks. I hope that there are prequel books. Oh, no. With, with, Who would the Jar Jar Binks of the Christian Grey books be? Uh, I don't Like Catherine Kavanaugh's mom? <laughs> I don't know. Misa whip you good. That's Oh, my God. Don't do that. All right, great. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, this is a show where we read books <laughs> and statistically speaking usually they are not 50 shades of gray related so craig you read a book this week why don't you tell me what the book was and then tell me about it i read outlander by diana gabaldon all right i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but i think that is convinced me of otherwise yeah tell me tell me i'm wrong internet i can hear the emails being typed right now <laughs> All right, uh, so Diana Gabaldon, I know I know a little bit about her. So oh, I do can, you? I can I can kick this one off. Hit me. Um, she was born in 1952 in Arizona. 
Is that the little bit you know? No, I know more than that. I swear. <laughs> um, she was a she was a science professor for for a long time. She um found she was the founding editor of Science Software Quarterly, and then she taught environmental science at uh, Arizona State University for twelve years, and then she decided she wanted to write a novel just to like just because like not with any particular goal in mind but like to practice writing a novel and then she became a novelist and quit her job (laughs) (laughs) i've read a couple of interviews with her and what was really hard actually is the only source for those interviews is the internet at hand for me like i don't have you know you didn't like call her (laughs) no i didn't call her um but it's really hard because the show for Outlander just came out like a year or two ago. So a lot of the interviews were kind of centered around that, which was helpful. But I also couldn't find a lot of, for lack of a better word, primary source, if that makes sense. You know, stuff from the 90s when this book was written. Sure, yeah. Um, but she's got a really good narrative down for how she came upon this book. And I feel like a lot of modern authors in the modern age of... Uh, you know, promoting yourself and getting a book deal and kind of being a public person on the internet have really latched onto a good narrative for how they came into their book, right? Okay. Um, She, like you said, she wanted to practice writing, not because she anticipated being a novelist, but just because she'd done a whole bunch of nonfiction writing and technical writing and she wanted to stretch her legs. She was watching a Doctor Who episode about... a. <laughs> about scotland there were like dudes in kilts and she she said she found herself thinking of the guy in the kilt in church the next day so i think the image stuck in her brain that could have been an entirely different kind of novel i think it's we have well we'll talk about that (laughs) um and so she started writing this book in secret and she picked the jacobite uprising from the uh 1740s uh, or like you know, 18th century first half of Scotland, which I just looked up to double check what it was. Okay, and it was an attempt to return the House of Stuart to the British throne. Okay, uh, so you were trying to put Bonnie Prince Charles uh, back on the, the Young Pretender, trying to put him back on the throne, uh, and this was put down in 1745, and the Stuarts never okay. got the throne again. I thought from from the first thing you said, I thought it was just like. Stuart, Stuart, give your house, give it over. Return that house to us. It's a cool house. Stuart. Stop it, Stuart. (laughs) Stuart. Be cool. (laughs) What is this riff? It should be noted to the listening audience that Andrew and I are very rarely recording this podcast in person. In the same room, even. Yeah, we are about to embark on a road trip together. Uh, and we decided to do the podcast first because that's a great way. Yeah, kick um, on a road trip. So she picked the Jacobite Uprising because it had a lot of good conflict, you know, Scots and Englishmen and whatnot, and then she decided to toss a woman in the mix because it was a very male-driven time in the 18th century, and she thought that that would kind of mess things up. And as she was writing it, she had, the character she'd created, Claire, just kind of kept commenting on everything in a very modern way. And she got very frustrated, as she tells it, she got very frustrated with her own character and decided to put time travel in so that she could justify why this woman was having modern opinions (laughs) about the 18th century. What do you think the people who wrote How Not to Write a Novel would think about (laughs) just this idea on paper? 
Well, <laughs> probably not great, I think. And what's funny is she wrote almost all of the book without telling anyone about it. And she only started showing it to people when she got into a, like an internet debate with a writing forum she was participating in um, about whether or not men knew what pregnancy was like. And she had written this pretty moving passage about what it is uh, for a woman to experience pregnancy. And she shared it, and then a bunch of people liked it, and so she started working on the book in earnest and then got a book deal and hasn't looked back. Huh. <laughs> so there's a certain amount of not... She didn't like teach herself in the conventional way, because in that like classic way, because she had been writing successfully in other fields. But I think there is a certain element of she didn't go through a writer's workshop. You know, she right. didn't like s- sit through hours of feedback on the book before she started pitching it to people. You know, she got introduced to an agent and all that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty good narrative for where this weird pitch of a book came from yeah i mean i, I want to ask if that comes through in the writing at all like i i don't know i i don't know how that would manifest itself like like somebody who had not been trained in any way to write fiction but was a successful writer in other ways like i just don't know yeah i don't i don't have an immediate assessment The i will say the book feels actually really assured if that makes sense Okay, yeah, actually it does, because if you don't know what you're not supposed to do, then you can just write really confidently about whatever you want. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. She also says that she doesn't usually write a book in order, uh, and I find that... Well, you start with the ending, and then you work backwards. I thought that's how everybody did it. Is that true? Just for mystery novels. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I feel like uh, for screenplay writing and script writing, I hear a lot more about people writing out of order. Um, and from having never written a novel, I have no idea, but, uh, I get the sense that things happen chronologically and that's probably not true. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't write fiction, but I do write stuff and, um, some parts of, especially when you're working on something longer, like some parts of it just want to be written more than the other parts. Mm, like you fair, have, fair point. you have a core part of the article or the story or whatever that, is really pivotal and then you can work outwards from that like once that once you lay that scaffolding you can work up to you can work up to it and then you can deal with the consequences like more i don't know just more more concretely that makes sense yeah all right so that's diana gabaldon i don't know there's not much more other than the seven books that she's written eight books that she's, she's written in yeah, the series she's written uh, eight outlander books so obviously she's she has <laughs> she has switched to being a novelist and she's done it pretty well. Um, the first four of them were published between 1991 and 1996. And then the second four were published between 2001 and 2014. So <laughs> she's got like a George RR R. Martin syndrome thing yeah. going on. But then um, she's written some accompanying stories. Like the most, the most prominent I think is the Lord John series, which is about a, um, like a side character from the same universe. And they're usually shorter stories, I guess. Cool. And then there are a few other, you know, there are a few other things, but this is primarily what she's known for and primarily what she has worked on yeah, throughout her career. So, um, so if at the end of this episode you sound, you, you f- feel like you're interested in this book, but you don't have time to read the book, there's a Stars series uh, that was actually directed by the guy who, or created by the guy who did the Battlestar reboot. Who's also is he the Deep Space Nine guy? Oh, um, Robert Moore. Ron Moore. Ron Moore. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, yeah, he did Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and then Battlestar, and I think his heart's in the right place. Let's yeah. just say that. 
he to hear her talk about it in interviews, he's very he knows that stories need to be character driven. And then in some of the things that I've seen, it's just that he doesn't know what to do with those characters after he, yeah, a few he, seasons. He is really good at characters, but he's not so good with like the macro. Yeah. Like the, the big story. Yeah. Well, let's get into the big story, I guess, for this one. Tell me about what was going on. Who's the outlander? Okay. What, what land are they out from? <laughs> good one. Okay. Cool. Uh, I think the phrase, I am an outlander, only gets said like once or twice in the book. And it's uh, <laughs> by the first person perspective, Claire Beauchamp. Uh, she's an English woman from the 1940s. It's like World War II era. World War II has just ended. Mm-hmm. She was a nurse in World War II. Uh, her husband, Frank Randall, uh, has some Scottish heritage in him. And he, they were they got married and then were separated by the war. Like, he went off to fight and she was uh, a nurse. So she was working, you know, back in the hospitals and stuff. And they want to spend, like, a kind of a honeymoon or get-together reunion time up, you know, tracing his ancestry in Scotland. So they go up to Inverness and he's like going through genealogy libraries and whatever and she's kind of bored and finding him a little stodgy even though she really likes him and so she classic goes, romance like rom-com thing uh-huh, going on uh-huh. it's like there's a perfectly fine guy who's a little boring but then richard gear comes along <laughs> and he's she, so interesting. she describes him as very gentle uh and he clearly loves her and is and is charming in his way little tweedy perhaps let's say yeah, that's fine. All right. I describe myself as Tweety at times, so it's fine. Would you? I'm wearing a cardigan, but it, there's no Tweet involved, so... Okay, halfway there. I'm halfway there. <laughs> and uh, so while he's checking out his, you know, uh, who do you think you are backstory, have you seen that show, Andrew? Oh, yes, I have, where celebrity, like C-list celebrities find out their, uh, who their grandma was. They get to was. travel to China to like find out their awesome ancestries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know I know what it is because Susanna used to watch it. Laura likes it, too. And um, I got like, I, when I'm just passing through a room <laughs> and watching like two minutes of something, I will, I will notice, like I'll lock into one thing about it that I won't be able to ignore. And for that show... It was that they used like that reverse symbol sound, like every time they revealed anything. Yeah, your your grandpa had slaves. <laughs> well, that's not funny. Your great grandpa served a king. Yeah, and and then there's your a aunt invented break. pizza. <laughs> I wondered why they called her Aunt Pizza. <laughs> All right, Outlander. What, okay, so you were asking me if I knew about <laughs> who do you think you are or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, that one was my fault. Um, and she is going out and like picking flowers and stuff. Her training in the in the war gave her a lot of medicinal knowledge, so she's out kind of collecting stuff and has an appreciation of flora and fauna and generally practic- practicing skills that would be really super useful if you ever got sent back in time. Okay. And that's not boldly apparent in the first couple chapters at all. <laughs> I, I don't think you'd ever pick up this book not knowing that that was what was going to happen. You know, especially if you got it in a bookstore, like you would know from the cover, from the dust the dust jacket. Mm-hmm. almost didn't know what that word was for a second. Um, that this woman goes back in time. So there's no like, you know. So you're just waiting there. for whenever she goes back in time. Yeah. So then there's like she goes to Krachnadun. Um, that's All my right. Yeah, 
It's like a rock circle. It's kind of like a Stonehenge. Okay. And she hears a bunch of buzzing coming out of a rock that has a big crack in it. And, of course, she goes and touches the rock, and then she gets sucked through time. Has she never seen a TV show from the 90s? Like, She's- you just have to watch, like, the Land of the Lost theme song to figure out what's going to happen. <laughs> she's from 1945. Oh, I guess. Yeah, I guess she's not... <laughs> Right. What's I, up so woman? I guess I guess she hadn't seen them then. What's up, woman from post Blitzkrieg era Great Britain? Have you never seen the Land of the Lost? I'm the- sure there were like teleplays where people touched a rock and went back in time, <laughs> or or radio plays, whatever I meant to say. Doctor Who is actually a play written by William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the British love it so much. Makes sense. That's one of the five things we know about William Shakespeare <laughs> is he was the first Doctor. <laughs> I actually think Doctor Who may have been a bunch of people. Um, Never mind. So she goes back in time to the 18th century. Now, she doesn't realize this at first, of course, right? She, like, wakes up and she's in the woods somewhere. And it's, you know, rural Scotland in the 1940s. So it just kind of looks like rural Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. And then this dude who looks suspiciously like her husband, but is clearly not comes up and like tries to take her like physically right okay. away all right and then a bunch of scottish dudes show up and there's a big fight and they take her with them and the whole time she does not seem to get it like i spent three chapters being like lady you are back in time <laughs> come on she even at one point is like i wonder if they're like reenactors this looks like the jacobite uprising did you just get caught in (laughs) like this giant reenactment of the civil war where everybody's doing it and just and they also knock down all the modern buildings and you don't have any like medicine or anything anymore so it takes i mean just really into it yeah, I mean, the scenes that happen, one of the first ones where she really, like, kind of gets convinced is this one guy, Jamie, um, gets shot through the shoulder and she has to, you know, use her medicinal knowledge to help him and, like, set his arm and stuff. And she's realizing by people's reactions to her and what she's asking for that they don't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know about disinfecting things. Uh, they don't have painkillers and and stuff like that. So she gradually, you know, acquiesces to the idea that she is two hundred years in the past. Okay. Uh, Again, this is this is a point where watching a lot of nineteen nineties television would have helped her out because, like, if I <laughs> step back in time to the past, I would just be like, "Oh, oh man, I'm in the past. <laughs> I'm a kid in King Arthur's court. Ugh. Dang it!" <laughs> so she. <laughs> So from there, the book, this a long book, so I don't want to like get dragged down in a plot, and I know I will eventually, and I need you to save me. Andrew. What is what is like Claire's arc? What is her journey? Okay, what so is her deal? she is trapped back 200 years in the past. Okay. Okay. She is caught with some Scottish men, the Mackenzie clan, uh, who are kind of caught up in this 
uprising that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. She's getting intertwined with Jamie, who she finds attractive, but he's a bit of a vagabond, and she's married to a guy 200 years from now, so she has some misgivings about that. Does it still count if you went back in time like before your so wedding that's happened? that's a central <laughs> question of the book. Oh, really? After several... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So after several events where she's at this castle, she reads a book that confirms... It's like a really well-printed book that confirms that that was, you know only 30 years from now and it was it says 1720 on it so like she knows she's in the past and she's being treated as kind of this like stand-in doctor she uh gets sent out riding with jamie and his uh cousin dougal and they have a run-in with uh the brits and this guy jack randall the guy who tried to take her in the woods earlier ends up captioning her, capturing her after she like sneaks away to try and get back to Krachnadoon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Randall captures her and to like he clearly wants her cuz everyone thinks that she might be a spy. She doesn't speak normal English, like she still speaks with a British accent, but it's a little different. Uh her last name is French. No one knows what her deal is, and they all mistrust her, and she seems to be acting weird the whole time. Okay. Randall clearly wants to do something with her, whether or not it's purely, like, evil nefarious, or he at least wants to, like, capture a spy. And Dougal and Jamie concoct this plan where to keep her safe, they have to wed her to Jamie. Okay. So marriage as a, you know, keep you safe option rather than a like do it for love they she's maybe been in the past for a month and she's getting married to this dude and he's on the run for a crime he didn't commit like that's like his backstory the like the <laughs> it's basically the a-team in the 18th century and of course she gets married in the church where she married her future husband frank what are the odds what are the i did make that note i wasn't sure i wasn't sure if the book was going to come back and say that like events always happen in the same place or anything it doesn't really do that you just imagine like an elbow coming out of the pages and and nudging you and going like eh eh get it so she's not you know she has to get married to him because what what else is she gonna do and so, so like, then, where does the book come down on on whether that's okay or not? Like, what are her, what are her misgivings? Does she get over them? Like, is it? It gets very hard for her to hold on to Frank. Like, and there's even one part of the book where she mentions like having a hard time remembering his face, which is hard because this evil guy in the book, Jack Randall, is his relative, and he looks so much like Frank, but is such a terrible dude that. You know, the images are kind of becoming intertwined and it's getting really tough for her. Okay. Also, she is falling in love with Jamie and they've had sex a bunch. Well, all right. So (laughs) now they don't start having sex until after they're married. He wouldn't do such a thing. Well, of course. Um, God would get mad. God would get mad. And it's like it's it's set in the 18th century. So like the religion in the book, she is has her kind of skepticism and cynicism of it like her 20th century cynicism. Mm-hmm. Um, they pay like homage to the fact that it's set in the past where people might believe in fairies and magic and witches and stuff. Uh, but even a lot of the Scottish characters of the Highlands are like, yeah, I don't really believe in it, but I'm still superstitious anyway. <laughs> That's just the done thing. Like you just were superstitious. Yeah. 
It's that just, came with being alive in 18th century Scotland. <laughs> precisely. Um, so she falls in love with Jamie. And at one point in the book, after a climactic getaway sequence... So to speak. She... Uh, he... <laughs> It's so different when I can see how frustrated oh you are with God. me, like it's, in real time. I, <laughs> she, um, she tells him that she's from the future, and like, does he believe her? Yes, he doesn't really know what to do about it. But at this point, they are like, their marriage is cool. They feel good about it, and. As as good as they can anyway, and she's still like, I don't know, I'm how am I gonna leave him? At this point, she's kind of sticking around because she doesn't know what will happen to him if she just skedaddles right. and goes back to the future. Yeah. Um Well, I'm like, when do you divulge that information? Like, not on the first date. You don't tell someone you're from the future on the first date, but that's... like is it when you get engaged? Like, is it before or after you, you meet their parents? I think, <laughs> okay, so I think, do you tell her first or do you tell her dad first? Um, <laughs> Mr. Mister Beauchamp, I would, uh, I can't do, I tried to do a Scottish accent and I just choked. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm done wow. I almost became a Muppet. Jeez. Nadine, Mr. Beauchamp, I... <laughs> I would like to marry your daughter, but you I'm just, from the future. You just sound like the Swedish chef. <laughs> the ghost you just, Swedish you, chef. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you have to tell her dad, at least, if you haven't told her. He, know, he needs to know what your prospects are from yeah. 200 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> so after she tells him... How do you tell somebody that you have a previous... But also in the future marriage okay. that you need so this to is, deal with. So this is interesting. She does she she has told people that she had a husband. Okay. So like early on when she, when people are asking her like who the heck she is, she has to come up with a story and she tries not to lie because she knows she's gonna remember wrong if she actually constructs a real lie. It's pretty crafty. Oh, that's uh, fair. Claire's a pretty smart cookie, actually. And for someone who, like, figures out how to deal with getting tossed 200 years in the past, she's pretty good at it. Uh, and she kind of tells the story that she had a husband. She doesn't have one anymore. She has relatives in France. Uh, that She comes up with, like, a very rudimentary, like, the English attacked and there were bandits and now he's dead kind of story. And it's pretty simple and people don't pry. So when she gets married to Jamie, Jamie's very sensitive to the fact that she had a husband previously and might be a little sad about it. Mm-hmm. And so then when she tells Jamie that she has a husband in the future, he kind of is like, you need to go. <laughs> like, I need to... It, a, it's, you know, she's in harm's way by being married to Jamie because all the English are after him. And so he takes her to Krachnadun and... I know, right? <laughs> and uh, she almost goes. He, She's at the rock circle. She touches the buzzing rock again. Wait, is it just a thing where there's a buzzing time travel rock? Yeah, totally. That's the part about a lot of these time travel stories that really mystifies me. Is like, okay, here there's a buzzing time travel rock. 
Like in Star Trek Four, they just like loop the ship around the sun and it goes really fast or something. Yep, okay. Like when time travel becomes a repeatable phenomenon that you can just do whenever, mm-hmm. it raises the question of like why isn't everybody just time traveling everywhere all the time? Well, okay, so I'll tell you. No it doesn't the buzzing rock doesn't work for Jamie. It only it only works for her. Okay. Is there something special about her or did they not get into it? They don't get into it. We do meet another woman who has time traveled. Um from the, the future or from from the future. Okay. Uh the so it seems to be only women and the way that Claire notices that this woman was also a time traveler is when they persecute both this woman Gelly and Claire for being witches. Mm-hmm. Uh this woman like strips naked during a thunderstorm to allow room for Claire and uh Jamie to escape. And Claire oh, so she, cre- she creates a diversion. Yes. Okay. And Claire sees a smallpox like pockmark from a small vo- smallpox vaccine. Oh, okay. Which, so and they hadn't invented vaccines yet. That so. vaccine wasn't until like the 20s or 30s. So Claire knows that that woman came from the future. I feel like that's a pretty subtle, like maybe it's just a birthmark. Like what do you, what makes you no, so sure? Well, but also Claire is a doctor. She's like, uh, I guess, you know, yeah. Um, and I'm this, sure it feels more organic in the story than it does. It when does. You just, it when does. you just say it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the magic vaccine mark and I knew that she, you know, but it's funny later uh, a, a messenger delivers like the last words from this woman, Gelly, um, before she was killed for being a witch to Claire. Uh, spoilers, I guess. Oops. And uh, the last message is one nine six seven. So. So that's when she's from. Yeah. Which is interesting that because that, there's Summer no of love. Yeah. So wait. 1967. 69. No, 67 was the summer of love. Really? Yeah. Is there a song I'm just not remembering? I'm just, I watched all of Mad Men recently, oh. so I pretty much know everything that happened in the <laughs> 60s, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't That's, worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, so back at Krachnadun, uh, Jamie is like, hey, listen, if you need to go back to the future to be with your husband and Marty McFly, that's fine. I'm going <laughs> to Marty McFly. I'm going to walk over to this cottage and I'm going to stay here and keep an eye out in case you do come back to see me and try and keep you safe. But otherwise, go have fun touching the buzzing rock. And she does like a very dramatic thing. One of the things that uh, Gabaldon's pretty good at is pretty dramatic little beats of action and Claire boils it down to like she doesn't know what to do so she takes a step in either direction away to away from the stone or to the cottage to kind of just test her own resolve as she's thinking it out and she not so slowly but surely runs to Jamie okay and her attraction and affection for him overwhelms her and she just she doesn't know what would happen to him or her going back to the future. So it's it's a thing where she dis- she throws her lot in with the past people and she decides that she is just going to live in the past now. Basically. Okay. I mean, she's still... And I she's mean, still- I, they wrote seven more books, so I assume that, that, that something happened. Yes. Um, and I was actually wondering, and I'll say I didn't know how the rest of the books are structured. Like, I didn't read about them at all. So I was waiting to find out that at the end of this book... Um, 
like some sort of more time travel happens. And then I knew other books took place not just in Scotland, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that there's any other time jumps that happen. I think that the rest of the books just follow these characters. Because, yeah, I mean, another way to deal with that kind of thing is to make it like a Chronicles of Narnia kind of thing where they just jump in and out. Or different characters. When we talked, I was thinking about um, the Sabriel episode that Jocko talked about where like all those books are about other characters in that universe. I wasn't uh-huh. sure if it would be it's apparently it's not. Um so then it's after that the book is really isn't about time travel other than that. You know what I mean? Like later in the book she does kind of really think long and hard about if she's going to stay here in this world should she use her knowledge to affect change, you know? Yeah. What can she do? She knows about what's going to happen with the uprising, so she's trying to keep certain people safe. Um, and she's certainly changed events by being there. Uh, and she has this kind of crisis of conscience that she resolves. But yeah, with it, with any time travel story, at a, at some point, like the author and the reader make this this unspoken pact where we all just agree to ignore all the holes. <laughs> yeah. And like thanks. maybe who knows, maybe things in history turn out the way that they did because you went back in time and you messed everything up. Precisely. And it, she talks about that like the, a guy dies way earlier than he should have. Right. Mm-hmm. And in time. But also a priest is, that she's talking to is quick to point out. She's been healing people left and right, yeah. like treating them for, for diseases. And she even says like there are certain diseases that she isn't getting because she's been vaccinated. So it kind of that's why uh, this other woman was likely viewed as a witch also. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she so the guy's like, hey, listen, there's a bunch of people that should probably be dead right now. Yeah, because this is back in the time when like washing your hands was the biggest advance <laughs> in medicine that, that we'd ever accomplished. And you'd go days without doing that. Come on. Well, I mean, you don't need to. But once a week, I don't think I don't think so. And that's like <laughs> that's how I live my life. Maybe every maybe every other day if you own a cow, like, come on, you're just going to kill it and eat it anyway. Gotta keep that cow safe. Gotta keep that cow clean. You gotta wash that cow every day, though. Or else they get rowdy. Don't you know nothing no, about no, cows? Was, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about a cow wash, like a, like one of those <laughs> car washes, except with a cow standing there, like getting all the colored full foam sprayed on it instead of a car. That's what I was thinking about. Instead of a cow getting freaked out about that, I just thought about a cow really enjoying it. What if the cow is just wearing sunglasses and... <laughs> Was like totally fine with it. What song is playing? Um, uh, Surf Rider. <laughs> I think. <laughs> or Wipeout, maybe. Yeah, Wipeout would be good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wipeout. Yeah, wash. <laughs> so that's the time travel element of the book. Um. Oh, briefly, when you're talking about washing your hands. Uh, she like whether or not people lose limbs in this book is like a thing mm-hmm. like she sets some hands and limbs that you know a person in the in the olden days would have just lopped off right or and, if you get a paper cut you're gonna get gangrene yeah basically, basically. you know say goodbye to your whole Wait, arm was paper a thing yeah, they had yes. yeah i mean they yeah. had books okay yeah. shut up andrew let, let craig talk <laughs> it is it is interesting because it's in it's set in the highlands there's no part of it that takes place like in a city so it almost feels even older than it is 
Um, it's maybe 20 years before the American Revolution. So think about like what... So 20 years before anything important happened. Basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was that noise? <laughs> but... Uh, podcasting. Podcasting. We're good at it. Um, but yeah, so it, it does feel even older at times be, be just based on the setting and the like way that she renders the Scottish dialogue with a lot of extra apostrophes mm-hmm. and you know dialect kind of writing so I don't want to I want to get to the sex stuff okay because um, that is a big part of what I was people were excited about for us to read and it's not as like romance novely as you might expect. Okay, yeah, because I can totally see this book with a with a with a bare chested man and a and a woman with a heaving bosom on the cover. I was gonna, like, would it be useful to segue into this conversation? Like, I was wondering, like, we're talking nineteen forties to the eighteenth mm-hmm. century, so maybe like the the feminist aspect of it wouldn't be as big a deal as if she were traveling from like the 80s or something but is that like oh it's a huge part of the book yeah okay tell me tell me more about that like how how do attitudes toward women in this time like play into the story so that's really boiled down into a scene where uh after claire runs away before she's gotten uh after she's gotten married she runs away maybe to get to krachnadun and the Englishmen capture her. And then Jamie has to go and save her while the rest of his men cause a huge like distraction at the English fortress and risk their lives to save her. Right. It sounds like a lot of people do that in this book. Yeah. So he then spanks her, like with his sword. Uh the like the side of his sword. Right, the flat part of it. Yeah. Um and he's very serious that, like, that's what's going to happen. Um, it's part of the justice that he, like, learned. And that it's his job to, like, show her what was at stake, right? Like, all these men risked their lives to save her for a thing that she decided to do without thinking about all the other people she was affecting. Okay. And when you talk about it that way, like, it's odd... I don't know. It was odd to me reading it that it made sense, and yet it's like, here's here's the part of marriage where the man spanks the wife to teach her a lesson. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing where, yes, she should have thought about that, but maybe like spanking her with a sword is not the punishment that we would have doled out today. No. And so I don't know what things are like in England or Scotland or whatever. Like Maybe, maybe, today? Sword, maybe sword spankings in 2015... <laughs> Are still a thing. I've watched the House of Commons. There's plenty <laughs> of sword spanking. Um, he uh, and Gabaldon has, has talked about this in interviews, where she really likes the uh, kind of the discrepancy that that male and female readers have to this sort of scene, right? Where she's and anecdotally for her anyway, men kind of look at it and go like, "Yeah, I guess he's got a point. He probably shouldn't do that." And the feminist, you know, younger woman that she's talking about in interviews is like, that's terrible. Why would anyone do that? And from Gawadon's perspective, both are correct. Yeah. And she's used this time differential to allow both characters to be correct Mm -hmm. in a way that, like, 
when you read that kind of stuff in uh like even 50 shades right it's gross and you're like stop what do you like you can't do that to someone it's one thing if it's part of a relationship where that's like a thing you're experimenting with but to just say that's how that's how we express justice in this relationship swords bangings yeah doesn't seem <laughs> right by today's standards but she's created a world and is trying to explore a world and using a modern character to do so where this was the day like this was what you did and it's just interesting um that that's like the primary dynamic between claire and jamie it helps that jamie is a like i said like a han solo vagabond right and he's also a virgin he's a lot younger than she is and so when they start having sex there's an opportunity for her to teach him about it Okay. In a way that is uh, not common in this time period. Okay. So. I guess that's an interesting, like, based on what you've told me about their relationship so far, that sets an interesting um, tone for the dynamic because, like, you have her telling him that she's from the future. And I imagine she probably has something to say say to him on the subject of sword spanking. Like, it, it sets up this dynamic where he knows that she knows more about certain things than he does yeah so when they get ready to have sex they like kind of just it's their wedding night and they kind of just sit and hold hands and talk for a while first wait is that not is that not the whole is that not how it works well they've never had a like a real like conversation in their marriage before like their oh, marriage okay. is so fresh they've never held hands and told stories to each other i just is that not the like the act is that not what everybody's always talking about andrew yeah hey love comes in all shapes okay. and sizes what does that mean i'm gonna move on because i don't know what to do with this goof <laughs> Just, just say that you'll tell me when I'm older. That's what. I oh, was. okay. Ask your father. That's how about that. Okay. Um, and he, <laughs> Jamie asks her, um, like how to do it, and in like he knows how to do it, but he just assumes that men do it from behind all the time because that's how horses do it. Sure. And she's like, are you kidding? He's like, well, I kind of, I mean, that's what I thought when I was little and nothing really proved me different. Why would you do it face to face? And that's like a revelation for him. And the idea that he could do it to make her feel good is also a revelation, right? But I think he has that's a revelation that still is is happening to true. men all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but he also has no preconceived notions. Like they've, she the author's done a pretty good job of setting him up in this like blank slate with regards to sex. Yeah. So that while he certainly has more conventional power in the relationship, he has 80 pounds on her. He's like a giant Highlander man. He has the spanking sword. He has the spanking sword and he has all of societal mores behind him for the era. She still has power over him and not in a way that she's like wielding, but just she has things to give to him that, you know, are more than just like, Here's what a car is, past right. doofus. <laughs> um, so, the, so like, let me let me explain to you what a quarter pounder with cheese is like. Okay, 
There's this thing called rock and roll, and let me shake my pelvis at you about it. I think that was a little later than the 40s, but... you, I, We're generally behind England when it comes to hip stuff, Andrew. That's true. So, it probably happened. <laughs> um, so, then the... Uh, this There's also an interesting gender thing that happens very late in the book like it's kind of like the climactic scene in the book where jamie ends up getting captured by randall and claire is the one who has to mount a rescue mission mm-hmm. it's just a really and it, it there are a couple different movements to it and who she recruits to help her and how it actually goes down uh it do, it fails at first and then he has to stay behind and she gets him out later anyway um but it's just a really interesting reversal. And it's funny because it doesn't belabor that fact. Like, it's not overt. You know, the discussions about marriage and roles during sex are a little more overt because the characters talk about it, you know. Um, but I've really found the reversal of who needs saving pretty fascinating. Considering that she does get saved a number of times through right. the book, that the biggest action scene of the book comes from her trying to save him and without you know the book doesn't call attention to it other than it's a big important scene uh i found that pretty pretty interesting as as a wrinkle on the whole theme well tell me this going back to the how not to write a novel kind of discussion um does it like how much sense does it make that the other characters of this time would be acting in the way that they are and like, does the book address it, or just kind of ignore it, or or do you know what I mean? No, because I don't know what you mean by acting in the way that they are. Well, like, okay, so so when we were reading the how not to read write a novel thing, they said like if you are if you're writing a story set in like the 1700s or 1800s uh-huh. or something, like it's cool to have a gay character or oh, something. Okay. Just just as a for instance. No, no, that's but, actually a very relevant. But for you wouldn't you wouldn't run into a lot of other people in that time period who would have like what we would consider to be modern attitudes toward that person. Like yeah. there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a whole bunch of people who were just cool with it because mm-hmm. that's not how people were. And so when you, when you mentioned the role reversal to me, I think, okay, how are these, you know, 18th century dudes going to react to a woman like bossing them around? Is that addressed at all? Like, does it seem organic or what's, what's the deal? It seems pretty organic. Um, it's because it's set against this backdrop of the larger Scottish versus English conflict. Uh, the one time that she has to get in front of a couple people and say, hey, we need to go save Jamie. It plays pretty well. Um, okay. And she doesn't, the the actual like, rescue thing she's working with this guy murtaugh who is a Klingon, i guess like (laughs) he's it's funny he he goes throughout the book like not saying a lot and then uh claire has to spend a lot of time with him when when jamie's away or captured and he kind of opens up and is just kind of weird and they make a lot of cracks about it and uh they also can't remember how he's related to the family. Mm-hmm. Like she tries to ask Jamie and his sister why they're friends with him and they can't remember why, which is pretty good. Um, <laughs> and he he takes the lead in terms of the actual like commanding of the men and, and the ultimate thing that gets Jamie out of capture. She doesn't actually have anything to do with functionally. She kind of uh, a family friend takes her in and recognizes her plight and then 
goes and does it for okay, her. So, so she has like she has an in with somebody who people will listen to. Yeah, like she's not riding a horse at the front of the front of the army like William Wallacing it up like yeah, herself. And, and not to say that that couldn't have happened because you have like your Jones of Arc and whatnot, but there are those are scant few, right? So right. It, it doesn't feel anachronistic in that way. Um, when you were talking about that specific kind of having a gay character or um, having, a you know, something that is a little more modern in the past, Jack Randall is, like, described as, and is, not just described as, he is this kind of sadistic, sexual pervert character. Okay. Um, a Joffrey he, Baratheon, if He really, you know, he is, like, Joffrey Baratheon is a perfect example. Okay. He has this bizarre fixation with Jamie um, before... The events of the novel, he had Jamie in custody and flogged him like 200 times within an inch of his life and has this bizarre sexual attraction to him. He has uh, kind of dominated his captives of both genders. And like the the culminating event of the book, what happens to Jamie is not just, you know, 24 torture, torture. There's buggery involved. And it's that's I'm using the word from the book, um, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's not graphic in its depiction, but it's certainly portrayed as the kind of psyche shattering event that it is. Uh, and I was impressed by because I I don't think I'd read a book where, and I know there are stories out there, but I just don't know what they are, where instead of you know sexual violence being perpetrated against the damsel in distress character it was kind of the equal footing male protagonist and it happens to him and like it completely shatters his perception of himself and he needs to be kind of not only saved from the event itself but from the aftermath and the toll it takes on his body like he's also being tortured and so he's in a bad way right um but it, I was really impressed that like this book ranges from these kind of pretty ribald sex scenes between the two of them where they're really just kind of like rolling around in the hay, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> and it runs, it pretty organically navigates the spectrum of sex as a tool for resolving marital conflict to the honeymoon phase to a way to communicate with and perhaps be in charge of for moments your lover or partner but also in the time that it was and in, you know in the time that it is now so it can be dangerous and it can be violent and it can have an effect on you that is not pleasant um or that is completely one-sided right and it I, the book does a pretty good job of kind of hitting all of those notes and and not not having them sound false, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Because um, it's, it's the kind of book that could have like a preachy feel to it almost. Like, yeah. oh, in, enlightened modern person goes back to the past and and educates all the savages. Like, it could be really on the nose about everything. And it sounds like it's not, which is which is good. No, it, it's... it's she, Claire has a lot of trouble in this book, and a lot of it derives from her being a woman her being from the future and not knowing how to navigate some of the social situations that she's in, but she is wily enough and persistent enough uh, to make it through. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's, 
that's the book, I guess. Yeah. Anything else before we wrap up? I know you said you had a couple of things that struck you funny. Oh, there were a couple struck me funnies. Uh, at one point, they almost have sex. And uh, for whatever reason... Um, oh, it's right after the spanking, actually. Uh, and <laughs> Nothing gets you in the mood like a good sword spanking. Well, Jamie, Jamie says, this is a direct quote, Well, I did not think it right to roger you in that state, however fierce I wanted to, and I did want to. Terrible. Can we start using roger as a... <laughs> I don't know if we can. I don't know... If we can. Well, I mean, I, we can, but the question, I guess, really is, should we? <laughs> should we do that? Time will tell, I suppose. <laughs> uh, the other one, he is, like, kind of spooning with her, I think, at one point. He's cuddling with her. And this is a direct quote from the book. Uh, Jamie says, mm, you're nice to crudle with, he murmured, doing what I assumed was crudely. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's a real wit to Claire, which kind of makes the book a lot, you know, it's very enjoyable. It's it's not, it's... <sighs> you can kind of, you can you can suss out why she took over the book, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The and, original draft or whatever that, that Diana Galdon was, was working with. Yeah, because it, it is a work of historical fiction. It's very grounded in its reality. There's one chapter where she pets a water horse which I think is a mythical Scottish creature. I don't... I was gonna, like, are you talking about a seahorse? Like, what's a water horse? No, a water was horse... Was it just a horse that was in, like, a river, and so they decided it was a different kind of horse? No, like, I. it's a, like, Scottish myth thing. Okay. And she pets it, and I. they never address it again except when she's being called a witch, and some dude's like, I saw her pet a water horse. And that... <laughs> uh, literally, that happens. And... I they never address it again. So that's like the one. Maybe it comes other... back in a later book. Like Maybe. Is, is there a title like the 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 blessing of the water horse? I don't book, know. It's book seventeen in the, the Outlander, Outlander series. <laughs> <laughs> so like the the only legit supernatural thing that happens is the time travel. And if there, I mean, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, but it's not like <laughs> there are. The, you know, there's talk of mythical fairies and other creatures just in Scottish lore, and she doesn't dive into that. It's not a book about. That. At least not in this book. At least not in this one. So it does kind of straddle all these genres. It's a, It's it was originally sold in paperback in some bookstores as a romance novel, um, which helped its initial sales. But she doesn't like that because she wants men to read it as well, which. I had a great time reading this book, so dudes should read this book, just like women should read this book. Come on, dudes. Just like anyone should. Um, everyone read everything. Everyone read everyone every, read every every everything that we talk about. Yeah, except maybe for Judas. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's also in historical fiction. It's also this kind of sci-fi fantasy thing. It certainly appeals to someone who might be interested in kind of a medieval fantasy world. So it's pushing Big a lot of buttons genre melting pot but like i said because she kind of wrote it this at least this initial book in a vacuum by herself it feels very of a piece it doesn't it's surprisingly solid i would say for how many genres it's dabbling in okay um yeah it's a cool book cool uh i think that's everything all right um if if you time traveled here from the future and you want to tell us about it you can email us 
at overduepod at gmail.com. You can also tell us about it on Twitter at twitter.com slash overduepod and contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash overduepod. This past week, we surpassed 400 Facebook likes. I think we're at like 403 or 404 now. So that's that's cool i mean i was i was looking at our stats and like january 1st we were at we were a little under 200 so welcome everyone thanks guys um and thank you to everyone who got in touch with us over social media in the last week uh future youtube star jillian amber jlh robert monica alex tony tysaphine and then um fits 3891 who gave us a very nice review on itunes craig if they want to find our itunes page and everything else about the show where should they go they should go to overduepodcast.com. Everything about the show includes back episodes that you can listen to right on the website, or you can subscribe to our RSS feed, or find the iTunes link and subscribe there, or Stitcher, or whatever. Um, like Andrew said, if you use iTunes, please rate and review us. It helps people find the show. You will also find Amazon links to purchase the books if you so choose. We get a little bit of cut of that to help uh, support the show. But one direct way that you can support the show, other than just telling your bookish friends and family members and people you meet on the street, you can also head to patreon.com slash overdue pod. And the link is on our website. And that is a fundraising campaign where people who like the show can kick in a little bit of money, kind of like a big internet tip jar that helps us grow the show. And we bought some new equipment and uh, pay for hosting and buy books and all that good stuff. Yeah. And um, there, there are a few more recent donors who I don't think we've gotten in touch with about like what book they want us to read. One of the, one of the rewards you can get for kicking in $5 a month is you get to move a book to the top of our stack. And Which it's, it's Outlander proven, was one, I think. It has proven to... Yeah, Outlander was one. Um, Tenant of Wildfell Hall was one. Like, most of the things we've read in the last couple months were on were on that list. And it's proven to be a really popular option. Um, if you pledged recently and we have not contacted you yet, that is coming. Um, you know, we've, we've just had such a big stack of them that we haven't needed to, <gasps> to ask people for any more. <laughs> It's it's really been great, actually. I mean, I, I, I think like the bonus episodes that we're doing, also because of our Patreon campaign, um, that's going to be a good opportunity for us to do just whatever goofy book we want to read. But this has been a really good way for us to read stuff that we normally might not have thought of first. Yeah, if that if that makes sense. Yeah. So, Andrew, what book are you tackling next? Um, next week, I'm going to do Blood Meridian by uh, Cormac McCarthy. Sweet deal. Yeah, it's going to be going to be a good one, I bet. <laughs> Great. I assume. So just like his other book, we're going to hit the road. We sure are. Okay, everybody, ignore that pun. And until next week, try to be happy. <laughs> That's terrible. We're in the same room. I messed in it up. In person clapping. In left handed clapping.
Um, What's the sound of two people clapping badly in a room alone? <laughs> 